Okay, so today we're going to be talking about telling our story. And we've kind of been on this, this series of activation. So Isaac kind of kicked it off with activation and he called it motion and movement. And talking about how the Holy Spirit stirs us to action, calls us to action. That when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there should be obedience. There should be movement. We won't stay still. We won't stay the same. Then Pastor Bob shared on activating the Holy Spirit in our lives and explained what Holy Spirit is and, and what the Holy Spirit does. And people were filled with the Spirit of God on that, the end of that service. That's amazing to me that we don't have to stay the same, that we can have a power that is not our own, that changes us and transforms us from the inside out. And then last week, Pete shared on activation and just activating peace in our lives through trusting God, trusting God with our whole lives, with our lifestyle, with our, the rhythms of our life, with Sabbath, with money, with tithing. That peace comes in our lives as we trust who God is, as we trust his character and we trust his nature. So today we're going to talk about another aspect of activation, telling our stories. Okay, now, right now, that's kind of a trendy thing, storytelling. Um, we all have a story. I'm not talking about, like, writing your memoir, okay? I'm not talking about um, getting words together in a way where you could one day put them to pen and paper. Maybe you will. But every single one of us has a story to tell. Say, I have a story to tell. More specifically, though, we all have many stories all strung together throughout our lives, and they're stories of God's goodness. They're stories of his intervention when we needed rescue. They're stories of his provision when we had nowhere else to turn. They're stories of his nearness when we felt overwhelmed or alone or we were in a place of despair. So really, our story and the story that you have to tell is not actually your own. It's God's story. It's the story of God and how he has brought you through things. He's brought you through some trials. He's brought you through some struggles. He's brought you through some temptations. He's brought you through some low points and some high points. He's carried you. And it's turned you into who you are today. I hope you like who you are today. <laughs> and if you don't, that's okay. God's got more to say about that because your story is still in process. But God is the author of our stories and he writes the best stories. Um, last fall at Portland Bible College, I took a speech class, uh, speech communications. And if you ever really want to be humbled and challenged, Sign up just to take that one class at Portland Bible College. I think Glenda Malman is the only instructor. And put yourself in a room with a bunch of young adults. They're all, you know, they have different journeys, different places, a lot of international students. But they're there because they're hungry for God. Or maybe God just told them to go and they were obedient, right? So one of the things you have to do is you have to do a two-minute speech. And it's just an introduction or a greeting, 
two minutes, guys, and there's a timer. It's so hard. The next one is a five-minute personal testimony. You're supposed to tell one story of your life, personal thing that God did in your life for five minutes. There's a timer. <laughs> you have to practice it over and over again. Then there's a, you know, a 10-minute informative or persuasive speech. And then lastly, they, they do these one-minute impromptu speeches where you pull some, uh, like a topic out of a hat, and then you have to talk on it for one minute. Okay, so it was a challenge, just all in all, but there was something about when we did the personal testimonies. Five minutes, that's it. But maybe about six students would go in one class period, and the presence of God would just fall on the room. It turned into, you know, we're all, we have our desks and some people like I'm old school, you know, so I have my notebook and I've got a pen and most people in there have laptops. So normally people are just typing or writing away quickly and you hear the tap, tap, tapping sound. It's just quiet in the room as we're captivated by how God has transformed people's lives. Sometimes though, people would say, well, I don't really have much of a testimony. You know, I didn't, I didn't like do drugs and I wasn't living on the streets. So, you know, but I was really lonely in high school and I was so lonely and I had no friends. And one day I heard God say, look for people that need friends. And they would go on to tell how that transformed their whole life, their whole experience at high school, not just them, obviously, but the people that they reached out to. I mean, there were some stories of, of people that lost parents or had really huge things to overcome in their life, but I would get really bothered when somebody would start by saying, I don't really have a testimony. I grew up in a Christian home. My parent was a pastor, pretty much had a good life. And I loved it because there was this one girl, she was extremely bold. And she, when she was doing her personal testimony, went and got permission from Glenda and then got up and wanted to exhort the class. And she just boldly said, we all have a story to tell because God's done something in all of our lives. And don't you underestimate your story and don't you compare your story to anybody else's. And I just wanted to like, you know, standing ovation and, and clapping. Yes. I just, I felt that. So we all have a story to tell. Don't underestimate your story. Don't compare your story to anybody else. Don't think, well, my story's so bad. I actually don't want to share it. And don't think, man, my story's so good. What could anyone see in it that's God? Say, I have a story to tell. Say it like you mean it. I have a story to tell. Okay. <laughs> so we're wired to learn in story form. That is the way our brains work. And if this was more of a teachy thing as opposed to an activation thing, I would love to just talk all about how our brains are wired to learn in story form, how we create narratives in our minds of how something happened, which is why when you talk to two different people who are at the same event or, or who experience the same thing, they obviously have different personalities, but their brains will tell the story very differently, possibly. But I think, though, there's something to be said about stories in the natural. What makes a good story good? What makes a classic movie a classic movie. And even with, say, uh, the Olympics or sporting events, yes, we watch for the amazing athletic abilities of, of the athletes, but we're also really interested in the backstories. We're interested in how they got there. So there's lots of different elements to a good story, but there's some main ones, okay? So as I'm going through this, I want you to think of the movie The Lion King, not the new one, 
the animated one, old school, okay? Has everyone seen The Lion King or heard of it? Okay. So the first thing you have in a good story is you have a protagonist, and they're the main character, they're the hero. You know, you're supposed to identify or relate to them in some way. They're interesting, but they're flawed. They have a flaw, right? And then you also have the antagonist. So the protagonist, obviously, in the movie is... Who's, who's the protagonist in Lion King? Simba, okay. Then you have the antagonist. They are the evil person, the villain, the person who is directly opposed to the protag or anta uh, protagonist, and they, are, they just want them, you know, they want to see them crumble. And so who's the antagonist in The Lion King? Scar, okay, which is so sad. Like, come on, just because he has a scar doesn't mean he's a bad guy, okay? Then there is in every good story an inciting action. This is an event that sets things in motion. The event that sets things in motion for Simba is Mufasa dying, right? And he thinks it's his fault. And Scar makes sure that he comes in and lets him know it was his fault. And not only was it his fault, but he should run away in shame. Then the next element of a good story is conflict. Now, some of this can be internal inside the protagonist or it can be external. So Simba goes off and he, he grows up and he finds these two fun pals in the jungle and he's living the Hakuna Matata life. Everything is going great until his best friend from childhood, Nala, shows up and ruins everything because she lets him know that the, you know, um, or scars in charge and everyone's dying. You know, it's basically like the economy's bad. Um, there's all this family tension and we need you to come back and be the king. That's who you are. And Simba just wants to forget about that part of his past because he's stuck in shame. But he is eventually convinced through all these other circumstances to go back at least. Now, the last part, not every good story has this. Now, you know, there's endings where there's tension of some sort and they leave you hanging. That's a different kind of story. But most stories like this end with a resolution. The resolution is the protagonist wins the conflict and they learn something about themselves and everybody's happy, happily ever after. So Simba realizes that he needs to go back. He needs to lead his pack. He fights Scar and he wins. You know, and then he pairs up with Nala and they have a baby and whoa, whoa, okay. But much of the Bible is told in stories. You start with Adam and Eve. We go through the Bible and there's, you know, there's Moses and there's Abraham and Isaac and there's Ruth and there's Esther and there's Joseph. Most of the gospels are stories about Jesus. They're stories about people that he healed. And what was Jesus's favorite way to teach he didn't do bullet points. He didn't just sit down and say, get out your notebooks. I've got some doctrine to lay on you. What did he do? He told stories. He told parables. Acts is a whole book. You know what I love? I love all the Marvel movies and everything is an origin story now. Like even Toy Story, we're going to learn the origin of like Buzz Lightyear. Everything is an origin story right now. And I kind of like it. But Acts is the origin story of the church. The thing that God said he was going, the church is the key. The church is the key. And Jesus is coming back for his church as his bride. And Acts is a whole book about the origin story of the church. 
So the Bible isn't just a good book. It's not just a guidebook. It's not just a theology book. You know, it's not, what, what's that saying? Basic instructions before leaving earth. It's a history book. It's a history book of God's love story, his love story, his love for this people, which now includes us. But it's, it's this massive, fascinating, long story of God's love relationship with his people. That includes us. Remember that. And it's just broken up into a lot of smaller stories. So when I was little, I would read these little books. You guys remember? Does anyone know what the, like these little tiny books? And they would tell a story. This is the one of Job. Very cartoony. I mean, look at those feet. But it would tell the story. And so I, that's how I learned a lot of the Bible. I would still read my Bible, but I would read these little books that told different stories of characters in the Bible. And I do what most of us do when we read stories. You identify or compare yourself to the protagonist, the hero, right? So you're either not as good as the hero, like you ju- you're just not as awesome as they are, or you're kind of like, I'm way better, like I'm, I'm better than David. I mean, at least I didn't have an affair. Okay, maybe I'm not a, as good of a worship leader as he is, but I didn't do that. And we kind of break things down into, we want to aspire to be like the hero, or we're not as good as the hero. Um, Or maybe we think we're better than the hero. (laughs) But how we read the Bible matters because who we see at the center of the story matters. Who do you see at the center of the story? Last year, a couple friends introduced me to a new Bible reading plan called the Bible Recap. And it changes the way that most of us might read the Bible. Most of us might read the Bible to feel like we're doing, you know, our daily disciplines or Maybe like what I like to do is I like to read through a portion of scripture and write down all the things I don't understand that I want to go back to study or the questions that I have, or I want to go and search out the context, like the historical, cultural context. Some of us are reading by, you know, going through a Bible plan and we're just trying to get through as many chapters as one day so we can finish the Bible in two weeks or three months or a year and five years. I've never finished one of those Bible plans. Sometimes we're looking for what's the applicable truth I can apply to my life today, right? But the Bible recap forces you, do not do any of those things. Look for where you see God's character revealed in the scripture that you're reading. Because you're not the hero of the story, God's the hero of the story. So look for his character. God chooses us. He empowers us. He allows us to partner with him in overcoming evil. What a great story. And he chooses us and he writes those stories into our lives. And maybe you're thinking, well, no, I I don't really have that yet. I'm still in the middle of my story. But the cool thing about God is that he redeems our stories. If we will trust him, if we will give him time and be patient, he's a redeeming God. It's part of his nature and he redeems our stories. Noelle McKinley shared this, this Thursday at women mentoring women. And I loved this quote that she shared by mother Teresa. And I just felt like we all needed to hear it too. She was talking about how God's the author of our stories And Mother Teresa said, I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. We're little pencils in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. 
So we're meant to share our story with others because when God does something in our lives, we feel his provision, we feel his care, we feel his love, and we share it with other people, it's supposed to ignite something in them. I want to know God the way you know God. I need that in my life. I need someone to lovingly care for me. So let's try saying this together. I have a story to tell, and God is the author of my story. I have a story to tell, and God is the author of my story. So my brother, Andrew, he lived with us for a couple years, and then he was down in Northern California for a little while, um, helping out family. And then he actually is now on staff at Jesus Culture Church in San Diego, and he is the kids pastor, which I think is so awesome. And so it's kind of fun, you know, he'll send me the curriculum that he's editing that week or whatever, and we get to have these stories back and forth about kids ministry and, and what it should be and what it can be. But what I love about the culture, the staff there, the culture at Jesus Culture, <laughs> is they're very big into knowing who God made you to be, and they're really big into knowing who God made others to be because we're supposed to honor each other, right? And so they're really big on team dynamics. And so they brought a, a guy in to do this training and they took a bunch of different tests. And I love taking personality tests. Does anybody else like that? Like, I just, I'm like, I'm always so excited and then so disappointed. I'm like, tell me who I am. You don't know me. You don't know me. Okay, but that was fun taking the test. So he sends me one of the tests and it's a five-fold ministry gifts test. And that comes from Ephesians 4, where it says that God has given gifts to the church, um, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teacher, pastor, and that those, the jobs, when God gives you that gift, your job is to equip the saints. You're not just supposed to be a superstar and a hero. You're supposed to lay your life down and equip the saints and build up and edify the church. So I take this quick little test and I'm thinking it's really fun. And then I get my results. And I thought I knew which one I was or which two I was. Um, sad to say, guys, pastor was my lowest score. So good luck. No, I don't put too much stock in this test. But it said, you are an evangelist. That's your top score. And I was like, what? <laughs> I like talking about God, but that, I wouldn't call myself an evangelist. But it, for, for evangelists, it said, you are a storyteller in the kingdom of God. I was like, oh, this ties into my message. <laughs> We're all storytellers. So it says, oh yeah, just want to make sure it's the right part. Your contribution to the ministry of God is to make the stories of Jesus's remarkable goodness and transformation famous. You are the carrier of good news, which evangelist means, bearer of good news, good tidings, and are partners with Jesus in celebrating people's transformation. But I'm like, wait, shouldn't we all be doing that? You stir curiosity and desire to know Jesus and play a significant role inviting people into God's family. That does not mean inviting people to church necessarily. You have a unique gifting that is essential to the ministry of God. It goes on to say like, kind of like who you are, what's important to you. But I thought it was really neat. They said without you. Okay, so without this role of the evangelist, people don't celebrate the transformations of God. People are welcome to come to God's family, but they're not invited. Once again, not invited to church necessarily. People don't, without you, people don't know how to tell and share their own story. Without you, people's faith is stale and without enthusiasm. 
Now, I have an issue with the word evangelist because evangelist to me has always meant a certain personality type. And it is either the person who is clearly gifted from God. Everywhere they go, they have an encounter with somebody. The person starts weeping. They beg to know Jesus. They pray the sinner's prayer with them right there. They're, you know, they get healed. The one leg is longer and they both go back to the same length. And, and the person is just you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they come to church and they plug in. And and like, that's an evangelist, right? Or an evangelist is sometimes somebody who's just over eager, a little over eager in their faith, maybe just not really totally aware. This person doesn't want to hear about God, but they're like, let me tell you about God. And I'm like, I'm not either of those two people. I'm not, right? But God has told me before, you're an evangelist. He told me when I went to Youth with a Mission, I went when I was uh, 19 years old, And I had a friend, she was, you know, asking God for prophetic words for people. If you can't see it, it says Tamar. And it says, she did colors. I'm giving people colors and then asking God what they mean. So my color was red-orange. And the, the words that she put on there was river, words of fire, flame of the Lord, and evangelist. And then God has told me a couple years ago, maybe five years ago, to write down one time when I was asking him about my identity, write these things down that I say that you are. One of them was evangelist, and I fought God on it. No, I'm not the overeager person who's unaware, and I'm not clearly called. You know, people aren't just like weeping and begging me to know Jesus while I'm just trying to pump gas. <laughs> but evangelist means bearer of good news bringer of good tidings. An evangelist is simply someone who's had a personal encounter with Jesus. They've experienced his love. They've experienced his forgiveness. Maybe they've experienced his correction. I think it's really cool when we tell stories about how God's corrected us, that's compelling. Why? Because people don't share their stories of how they're wrong usually. When we tell stories, who's the hero? Us. Who's the antagonist? the person that we used to be married to, our boss, right? Our kids, they're just always undermining me. I find myself stuck in this loop sometimes. I'm like, my kids, and bleh. like I'm the hero and they're directly opposed to me. And somehow I'm gonna win this conflict. No, no. When we encounter God for real, the way we tell our stories changes. Okay, it looks a little bit more like, I just didn't know how loved I was. I was dearly beloved by God, but didn't know it. God had a purpose for me. He had a plan for my life, but evil had a plan for my life too. It's not so much a person, right? A person that did something to you. I was abused by this person, or this person introduced me to this lifestyle or whatever. It's I was marked by sin. I was marked by my sin. I was marked by the sin of others towards me. But then at this moment in time, or maybe multiple moments in time, maybe it's a progression. God showed up. I thought I was in a pit, but God pulled me out of it. I thought everything was hopeless and God whispered words of peace over my anxious mind. God came in and miraculously provided a healing, a financial, um, you know, financial provision. 
a resolution to some part of our story. When we tell the story in that way, and then we say, you can know God in this way too. That sounds really different than, you know, I was this great person and then this person wronged me, but then God's like, I I forgive them too. And then, you know, now I, I like do good things and I go to church and I read my Bible and I'm still really bitter and I still really don't like, you know, all these people around me, but at least I have God. That's a whole different story. Here's the thing. We have to remember our story. So where has God revealed himself in your story? And it's not just one time. It's not one thing. Where has he shown up personally to you? Maybe at a, t- at a crossroads when you were trying to make a decision. Maybe um, when you had messed up the most and you thought your life as you knew it was over. Maybe you were just dissatisfied. Maybe it was, I grew up in a Christian home and I kind of knew all the right things, but I just knew there had to be more. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was relational tension and friendships. Maybe it was a chronic pain or sickness. I actually really love being around people that are in chronic pain because they know God in a way that a lot of people that don't have chronic pain in their bodies, they, we don't know God the same way as, as the way God reveals himself in, in things like that. You know, whether it's addictions Abuse, maybe you've endured abuse. Where did God show up in your story? And then what part of God's character did you personally experience? Was it his grace? Was it his power? Was it his kindness? I want to read through a bunch of scriptures here real fast because this is, um, if you don't know who God is and you're like, well, I haven't really encountered God yet, or maybe I have, but I've forgotten. I just want to read through a bunch of scriptures that tell us who God is. Okay. Exodus 15, 26. Who is God? He is the Lord. I am the Lord who heals you. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, this phrase, you will find it over and over again. Search it up. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And then it often adds, and he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Deuteronomy 20, three through four. The priests were supposed to say to all the Israelites, hear Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord, your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Leviticus eleven forty five. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. What's your Egypt? What's the thing that you were bound in and God brought you out of it? Maybe you even wanted to go back like the Israelites. It's too hard out here in the wilderness. It's too hard in the promised land. We have to fight all these giants and all these people. What was your Egypt though that God rescued you out of? And God says, therefore be holy because I am holy. He's a holy God. Psalm 33, four, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Has he been faithful to you? Isaiah 41, 10, fear not for I am with you. There are so many times we want our circumstances changed, but is the fact that God is with you enough? Is it enough? If your circumstances never change, but you still have the peace and the presence of God, would it be enough? Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. 
I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Micah 7, 18, who is God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight in showing mercy. Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. All of the old people, right? Amen. He renews, he renews our youth, guys, like, like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. When we remember what God has done for us, and when we remember who he is, his character, his nature, our stories look different and we tell them differently. Sometimes I get frustrated because this church, you guys, This church is full. It is overflowing with people that have amazing stories of who God has been to them, how he's rescued them again and again and again because we're stubborn and we get ourselves into messes over and over and over. But then there's places of victory where God brings you to a place where you're like, okay, I can live in a new place of freedom. But sometimes I get frustrated because I don't think we all know each other's stories enough. We can go to church, and I want you to just real quick while I'm talking, look around at the people around you. Do you know their stories? Do you know how they came to City Harvest Church? What brought them here? Do you know some of the defining moments in their life? This is not to condemn you. Like, you're not supposed to feel condemned. I'm saying it's supposed to uh, invoke curiosity. Do you know the things that almost ruined them? Do you know the things they're still struggling with? the areas of their story where God is like, you're in process, I've got you, don't worry, but where you're kind of holding on and white knuckling it. This church is full of stories of God's rescue, his intervention, his great love, his grace, stories of how we were running from him and he pursued us. He pursues us still. And here's why I think it's so important. We have to share our stories, you guys. Because God's the author of these, these stories and we're just the pencils and he's a writing God and he's trying to send a love letter to the world of how good he is and how much he loves them. And part of that is you sharing your story over and over and over again. You want homework? Try to do it in five minutes. Write it out. And then when it goes till 10 and you have to edit it down to five, then start sharing it with your, you know, your friends, your kids, your parents, your spouse, whoever. What has God done? When you were exposed, how did God cover you? When you were accused, how did God receive you? When you were broken, how did he mend your wounds? Was he gentle? Was he faithful? When you were sick, how did God heal you and comfort you? 
What about when you'd been bound for so long? What did freedom feel like after you got out of that addiction? What did that feel like? When you came to the end of yourself in parenting, parenting brings you to the end of yourself. In marriage, marriage brings you to the end of yourself. That situation at work or at school that's stressing you out. When you came to the end of yourself and you finally brought yourself to God, how did he treat you? Did he say, come back when you've got your life together? Or did he say, I've been waiting for you to just turn around? When you couldn't pay your bills, how did God miraculously provide for you? When you were overwhelmed with fear and crippled by your fear, what did God's peace feel like when you finally felt it? We cannot stay quiet about our stories of what God has done in us. There's some stuff that happens when we tell our stories and there's some stuff that happens when we're quiet. When we're quiet and we stay silent about what, how God has rescued us, we essentially take credit for God's power in our life. We take the glory when we're quiet. When we're quiet about God's goodness to us, we deny others the invitation to know God's goodness like we do. And when we're too timid to share our faith and our stories about what God has done for us, I'm not saying you believe this, but your actions reveal this. Your actions reveal the belief that you pretty much think God has enough for me, but not for you. And sometimes I think when we're too timid to share, a lot of it can be, he, you know, he has the grace to cover my sin, but, but not yours. So what story does God want you to tell right now? As I've been talking, I believe that God was sharing with you bringing to the forefront of your mind stories of his goodness, his provision, his love, his care that other people need to hear. Because here's the thing, I've said it before. Every time we share our story, we expose the failed schemes of the enemy where he tried to take us out, but he didn't. Why? Because God redeems our stories. So I love that every time we share our stories about what God has done for us, God gets the glory. We don't take the glory. We didn't say we got ourselves out of that mess. God gets the glory and we find new levels of freedom. And then whoever you're sharing that with, they find new levels of freedom too. We have been called to the ministry of reconciliation to tell people that they are sought after the way we've been sought after. And that's what I mean is if you're too timid to share that, do you really believe God pursued you? Do you believe he's still pursuing you? Do you feel sought after like he left the 99 and came after you? I have parts of my story where I feel that way. He came after me. Sorry, guys. He left you. Not really. but He left some other, you know, people who were doing okay. And he came and sought after me who was not okay. Do people know from your story that they're a treasure worth finding because you know that you were a treasure worth finding? If you don't live in that reality that God relentlessly pursued you, okay, and still does each day with your grumpiness and your schedule and all the grumblings and complainings and all the ways we forget about God and we don't spend time with him, he still pursues us each day. But if we don't live out of that reality, you can't bring others into the kingdom of God with you. You might say the words, you might get them to pray the sinner's prayer, but they won't want what you have. What story does God want you to tell? Let's, let's say, it. I have a story to tell. 
God is the author of my story. I am a storyteller. Now turn to somebody and say, I'm beloved by God and you are too. There's all kinds of ways we can tell our story and there's all kinds of creative ways to do it. You know, painting pictures, um, to use, you know, creating videos, writing with an actual pen, using, you know, creating music to tell God's story. But today it's about using your voice. It's about telling your story with your voice. Prayer team, will you guys come up? We're going to go back in, into, uh, into worship here. But the one thing I want us to get prayer for is the hindrances, the things that keep us from telling our story. Because shame is right there. Shame does not want to let go of you. Shame has like some people in full on cages. It's got maybe just its claws and some people, maybe shame's, shame's more just like intimidating you, kind of just standing in the way and you're like, can I get around shame? I don't know. But shame is a real thing that keeps people from telling our stories. If I told my story, what would people think of me? Would people accept me? Because actually in the story, I'm the antagonist. I'm the bad guy. But shame keeps us from freedom. It keeps others from freedom. It keeps us from experiencing the full love of God, from knowing that we're fully beloved. So if there's shame and if there's fear, I'm not good with my words, like Moses. I stutter, I'm timid. I don't know how to, to share my story. I don't know if the person wants to hear my story. So if you have shame around parts of your story, and you will know, you know if you have shame, because you're not sharing your story. <laughs> or you're not sharing the parts where God actually rescued you. Or if you have fear around your story, it feels too big to share with other people. And like I've said, sh share your story this whole time, but you're not going to share it with everybody necessarily. But there are people that God will lead you to share your story with this person, with these people. So if you have shame or fear, and you know you do, there's, there's no condemnation. Just come up and get prayer. And let's ask God, take it off. Take off the shame. Take off the fear. I want to be free. I want to be free to use my voice to tell the story that you've written in my life. I want to be free to share your love with the world, with whoever you bring into my path. Let's be a people that use our voices to share the story. We are storytellers. We have a story to tell. God is the author of our stories. God wants to redeem our stories and God wants us to find freedom as we share our stories.